Paper Flower Consortium, Episode 18, Interspecies Kin. Recording by Loretta Fabron Foy, former Lady of the Kingdom of France and current historian and librarian of the Paper Flower Consortium. Welcome back, beloved initiates and other listeners. Forgive me the reprieve from recording, but the Paper Flower Consortium is mostly fixed from the flood damage. Our home is complete, baseboards and all. It is such a relief. So let us get started. Tonight, I shall speak on interspecies relationships. Due to the huge amount of what is now called shifter fiction, this question has begun to pop up more and more. Can werewolves and vampires have love affairs, and more importantly, can they live a happily ever after? Oh, my beloveds, vampires do not live. We are dead. But yes, our existence can be happy with werewolves and other species. Interspecies relationships can be complicated, but they too can be happy ones. But a warning, no relationship with a living being and some undead beings can last forever. However, before I go on, I would first ask you this, dear initiates. If you are still a human and want to be with a werewolf, why are you seeking an existence in a vampire coven? Why don't you join a werewolf congregation? Our friends at the Howling Moon have openings in their homeowners association as well. They have a winter fellowship and a summer barbecue, which are open to the public and offer an orientation to their initiation program. Like ours, it is a three-year program and discusses in depth the pros and cons to transformation. Now, there are some fictional accounts how vampires and werewolves are sworn enemies and engage in open or hidden hostilities. Maybe some groups in some parts of Europe may have competed for land or resources, but that hardly means all vampires and all werewolves are enemies. Obviously, as a librarian, my experience with groups outside the coven is limited, but my husband owns an inn and serves werewolf clients all the time. My brother-in-law has had several werewolf clients. My sister has acted as an official witness in her capacity as Kevin Liaison. And my daughter's company, NYT Clothier, has a whole line of clothing specifically made for shifting species, as well as a line of very large monster sizes for creatures such as sea serpents. And, of course, Norma has always had clients and friends of every species. There's other more insidious fictional stereotypes about dominant submissive fantasies, which are simply not real life. Werewolf females have complete freedom of their person and wealth. Men do not call women the B-word unless they are jerks. And in heterosexual relationships, most women do not want a bad boy. They want a man to respect us and help raise children if that is in our futures. 
The words alpha, beta, and omega don't exist in their lives. I'm not going to say that people don't have fun with such things behind closed doors, but the very idea of it is based on faulty science, which has been debunked multiple times. Werewolves tend to be wonderful parents and have close family relationships. They raise their children with gentleness and kindness and do not glorify violence, especially towards their children. As I said in the spring special, this is why Derek contacted them for assistance when Norma was a troubling when Norma was a struggling troubled teenager. For those I know to speak to and visit, I have found most to be quite house proud. Their homes and gardens are lovely and well kept. Their community property is very well maintained. They have had a few conventions in the inn, and their motorcycle club seems to be quite motorcycle proud. Their quilting club seems to be quite quilt proud. My darling Charles purchased the most amazing quilt for our coffin when they had their convention in the inn. And by now, I am sure you understand, they are simply people, just like vampires, with a virus that at times is inconvenient, but also provides a certain set of gifts. But let us say you are a vampire, and you meet a werewolf and fall in love. Well, my beloveds, that very thing has happened to one of our allies. Unfortunately for those involved, it happened in a place and time before condoms were readily available. We will return to France in the 14th century. Before I begin, I will point out a warning. France during this time period had attitudes which we do not share now. Some listeners may find this offensive, and indeed you should. So let us get started. You may remember our friend Marcus had transformed the sweet sister of mercy Sophie into a vampire, and Sophie turned her charges suffering from the plague into vampires. For much of their early existence, Sophie and her offspring existed as a wandering horde, feeding off unfortunate humans or dying animals. And it was the good sister Sophie who told Agatha the story of her ill-fated fifth-born, Amis. Before I continue, my beloveds, I will remind you that Sophie transformed all of her charges from the hospital. Back in the 14th century, there were guidelines in the official vampire communities, but there were no laws or even a council, so though child vampires were frowned upon, they were not illegal. And dear ones, know that young vampires meet their end in this telling. Amis was a girl of 16 who was sent to the hospital to die by her parents when they found the telltale black tumors. Sophie believes Amis most likely came from a merchant family. She spoke well, could read, and came with funds for both a bed and the hospital, and to pay a priest to bless her into heaven. But Amis never really spoke of her human family. She rarely spoke about anything at all. She was very shy, but she was gentle with the younger children. And she and Sophie's firstborn, David, were friends. Still, the whore did not have coffins. They found grottos or dug holes and slept in the earth of France. To keep themselves comfortable, some vampires coupled up in love or lust and held each other in the cold ground. Amis did not though in the coldest winter days she tried to sometimes protect the younger children 
In those early years, several child vampires stopped existing. They would awake frozen and hungry and decided just not to move again. Sophie would burn with her offspring once dawn came. No amount of prayer could save her from it. But David and Amice did their best to comfort her. Sophie told us each morning before Amice covered herself with the earth of France, she prayed for true love to find her. And after a time, David asked her to be his, but she refused. His form was but thirteen. The others pestered her and told her it was wrong to deny David, but she still refused. She liked him, but she was waiting for true love. And Sophie told her horde to let the girl be, and so they did. And then one night, the horde came across three men-at-arms who protected a group of pilgrims. The horde first thought to pick off the elderly, but Amice kept her eyes on the youngest man-at-arms. Sophie saw the man and believes he was 17 or 18. I am told he was quite dashing with a thick mane of brown hair. Now, of course, the men-at-arms heard the horde coming in the darkness, and they fed their fires and encircled their charges. They put their swords outward, looking for danger. With only fingernails, teeth, and sticks for weaponry, the horde sought easier prey. But Amice was smitten by the lad. She said goodbye to Sophie and David and awaited the dawn. The men-at-arms moved their charges during the day. Amice tracked them at night. For weeks, she buried herself under the previous camp and practiced what she might say to the lad if they'd chance to speak. But she feared approaching too closely. One night, she heard his name was Tameo. She learned he had a father, mother, brother, and sister at home. And the leader of the men-at-arms was his uncle, Teo. And the other man-at-arms was a family friend. Yet this information did not help her in the wooing of Tameo. On the day before the first full moon, the men-at-arms did not move. Instead, they hobbled their horses and prepared their camp for a longer stay. Both the pilgrims and the men-at-arms raced through the night and then began to change into wolves. At first, Amis feared their claws and snapping teeth. The elder vampires and humans before them sometimes told stories of wild beastmen. But Amis felt she was a beast woman. So she waited in the shadows for Tameo to return to human form. But as a wolf, he had a wonderful sense of smell. And he found her. At first, he growled at her because, of course, she was quite close to their camp. But she lifted her hands in the air and called his name. Tameo, I am a woman alone, a French woman. As Tameo was a nobleman of France, he growled something. But Amis couldn't understand him because, of course, he was in his wolf form. As he had left his clothes at camp, he 
hid behind a tree and returned to his human form. You're alone, he asked, hiding his nakedness. I left my kin, she said. Where are you going on your pilgrimage? Jerusalem, he said. Will you take me there? You're a vampire, set apart from God, he said. My people claim we are closer to God, Amis said, and they say your kind is set apart from God. I am a noble son of France and a man of God, he said. You won't seduce me, vampire. Amis just laughed at him. You wouldn't have stirred my heart if you were not, she said. Tomeo was not quite sure what to do. In fact, he stood behind the tree grumbling for a while. If you truly have no protector, go to the fire, but give me a few minutes and I'll tell them you're coming. And so he did, and he dressed himself with a tunic and cloak. His uncle, Teo, was not pleased. But Amis was an educated woman alone. She asked about their pilgrimage and did not act in any way unbecoming. Teo had her look at his crucifix. Of course, she did not burn. She could lit. She knew the Lord's Prayer, and she was quite gentle with the elderly and children in the group. So Teo agreed she should stay. For a month, Amis and Tomeo remained apart. The werewolves moved throughout the day, and every night Amis followed and came to their fire. You could quote the Bible and Anne of France's instruction to my daughter with ease. And one night, she told Teo that she loved Tomeo, and fate had brought them together, and she wanted to marry him. Teo simply warned them that werewolves and vampires cannot be together because Amis cannot bear children. Her womb is dead. Which, of course, is true. But as you must already have realized, the young lovers had succumbed to their youthful lusts and growing love. Teo was angry with them both, but to keep Tomeo on the right side of the law, he gave his blessings for them to marry. And Tomeo and Amis traveled as husband and wife. He protected her from the sun, and she protected the party in the darkness, always taking her turn at guard. Obviously, Amis could not bear Tomeo children to their grief, but they grew closer to each other in this sorrow. After the pilgrimage, they returned to France. Tomeo's family refused a vampire wife, so he left them and took work as a night magistrate. Another decade passed, and the young man became a man in his prime, and they existed happily, even as the hair about his temples became gray. However, their neighbors took notice that the beautiful Amis had not changed, and the washerwomen sometimes saw black pus staining her clothing. And of course, she never allowed the sun to hit her flesh. So they began whispering of witchcraft. And before the whispers became hysteria or violence, they returned to Tomeo's parents. Though unhappy with the situation, his father and mother welcomed the couple. Their anger had softened in the time Tomeo was away. And because a mortal's time is short and Tomeo's mother was dying, she wanted 
them to live in felicity. And his mother passed, and later his father died. However, his uncle Teo was still part of the village, so the two remained there. And even when death came for Teo, Amis and Tameo still lived with the werewolves. Quite happily, in fact. However, in this short blink of a vampire's existence, our brave and dashing Tameo became an old man. Amis still loved him and cared for him in his dotage. Yet, as his powers decreased, they became erratic. He could no longer run just in the light of the full moon. He began to run every night, and he could no longer control his turning. And then, in the very end, he grew forgetful and at times forgot Amisa's name. Yet she still cared for him until the day he died. And that's when the screaming started. You see, beloveds, Tameo awoke during the day. And he awoke hungry. With fire, the werewolves drove Amis and Teo out of their village and into the forest. And several times that day, during the journey, Tameo shifted halfway. His bones cracked and popped. Hair sprouted on his face and his skin twisted and tore. Amis simply carried him. And they burned until they found themselves deep into the wood. And Amis dug them a large hole and buried them in it. In the night, Amis sought food but only came across some wood mice. Still, she forced them down her husband's throat, and then she buried them both again before dawn came. And when the sun was high, Tameo clawed his way to the surface of the earth, breathing in deep and burning his flesh. He turned to animal, to demented man, and he forgot everything. And of course, the cruelty of a vampire's existence as we burn with our offspring. All Amis could do was drag him back under the earth. And this means that Sister Sophie felt not only the rebirth of Tameo, but the flames and agony of her progeny. She sent her most powerful clairvoyant to find his sister. And the man did not easily find them in the bloodline's torment, but he eventually he did. On the second night, Tameo returned and, and then he asked her, Why did you do this to me? And she answered him, I don't know how this happened. I will try to fix it. And she buried him a final time. She wandered until she found a church surrounding a village in the dead of the night and stole what she needed. A silver crucifix and a copper ring and a clay pot to act as a crucible and a fire pot primarily for speed. She built a fire in the fire pot and stoked the embers until they were flames and set the clay pot inside and the silver crucifix and copper ring in as well. The metals melted and bubbled, and she uncovered Tameo from his grave. As the dawn crested the horizon, she poured the molten metal into Tameo's open mouth. His lips blistered from the heat, and he screamed. Ami screamed with him, but through her agony, she still was able to repeat the procedure on herself. With lips burnt and throats scorched, they lay in a grassy field as the sun rose. And when the horde finally found her, Amis was still broken and blistered. But her beloved Tameo was nothing more than ash. 
At first she refused to budge to save herself. David was close enough to save her, though it was an ill attempt and just delayed the inevitable. Sophie peeled the metal from the flesh of her face and chipped it off her tongue and opened her throat and pulled out the slag that was left there. Anamis began to heal in the cold earth of France. When able to speak, Amis explained everything to Sophie and claimed she would rejoin Timeo in heaven or hell. It didn't matter to her. Sophie tried to bind her and David tried to guard her, but it didn't matter. These vampires had no home. David asked her if it had all been worth it to just to suffer now. Amis told her friend that it had been worth it. On the first day in the earth, without bonds, Amis climbed to the surface and set herself ablaze. Sophie burned with her fifth-born for the next day and vomited blood in the night due to the pain. Amis's ashes were collected and burnt seven more times that night and then the next day's dawn scattered into the wind. You see, my beloveds, the moral of this tragedy is not that werewolves and vampires cannot commingle. Vampires and werewolves can have a close companionship. They can have kinship. They can even be lovers if they are consistent about condom use and cap their fangs with a mouth guard or other methods to control saliva and blood transfer. Because death will come for any living species. If you truly love someone, you will care for them and let them die. Obviously, we don't know all such things they did in the decades they were married. Amis and Timeo's exchanges were most likely bodily fluids in the act of love, or perhaps accidental transfers other ways. We cannot know this. What we do know is the vampire virus does not kill you. It brings you back. You can live on for many years after you are infected with the virus. Our friend Lawrence died of smoke inhalation years after he contracted the virus. Our Lady Agatha was strangled by a priest. And Timeo died an old man, unable to control his transformation. And he came back as an old man, unable to control his transformation. So, to wrap up, if you have questions about safe sex between the species, please discuss it with Agatha in the clinic. And now, a word from our sponsor. Ladies, honored individuals, and gentlemen vampires, you may be forever the age you were at your turning, but that is no reason to neglect your skincare routine. To help you look and smell your best in eternity, Sirens of the Salish Sea produce perfumed, skin-nourishing soaps and lotions. Using all-natural sea salt, non-invasive species of kelp, cedar, berries, and grasses, held together in delightful amalgamations of discarded sea serpent scales and the blood of careless sailors, which are collected, manufactured, and bottled in our own local sea and shorelines. Our main store is open every day, and our satellite store in the Paperfly Consortium, Sweet East B, is run by vampire staff and open every night, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. Come on by! And now time for questions. Initiate Furnace. So Timeo transformed when he was an old man. But what would happen if Timeo had died when he was a young man? We don't know what would happen in a successful transformation because, as far as we know, it has never happened. It is illegal to knowingly transform a werewolf into a vampire. 
It may be that as we are undead, their virus cannot be transformed into us, or perhaps it can be. However, let's just say this mythical werewolf hybrid existed. The truth is, their lives would go on just as lives go on. Basically, I'm saying they'd be nothing special. They'd still have to do their dishes and pay their taxes. Initiate Lynn asks, Lady Loretta, so are you against shifter fiction? No, not at all. People enjoy these books for fantasy fulfillment, not reality. So as long as you comprehend its fantasy, I don't see there's a problem with it. Plenty of people enjoy such things. But becoming a vampire or a werewolf is a serious matter. Initiate Troy asks, This is a terrible story, so why did Amis kill herself for love? Initiates, I warned you in the beginning that this would be a tragedy. Amis might have killed herself for love, but I would also say she killed herself because she could not see beyond a time that her existence would be one where her nights and days were not dark and alone. She was always hungry and always cold. And once she had Tomeo's love, yes, she spent some cold nights. She had a warm, comfortable home with someone who truly loved her in return. It is a great privilege that you were born to a century with cheap heat and light. Unless you have suffered homelessness, you simply cannot understand Amise. So, that's all there is for tonight. Next time I will discuss the topic of forgiveness in a vampire's existence, because one cannot subsist as long as we do not let a few things go. Good day, beloved initiates, and sleep the sleep of the dead. The Paper Flower Consortium podcast was written and performed by Elizabeth Gazzetti. For more information, please visit www.elizabethgazzetti.com slash paperflowerconsortium. And while you're there, if you have a question for Lady Loretta, please click on the Ask Lady Loretta button or email her at info at paperflowerconsortium.com. If you want to support this show, please like and share this episode. Consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcatcher. Or consider donating, either one time or through the Patreon. The next book... Accident Among Vampires or What Would Dracula Do is available for pre-order on Amazon right now and it will be released on June 21st, 2021. The amazing intro and outro music was written by Evan Witt and you can learn more about his music at www.wittynotes.com. Thank you for listening.